Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Okay, so meowdy folks, and welcome to Genderful, a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. I also have a brief content warning I wanted to share. So there are, today there's going to be possible mentions of transphobia, suicidal ideation, and depression, which I don't think I've verbally shared content warnings before, so I wanted to make sure that I did that. So, without further ado, hello everyone, my name is Gender Meowster, and I use they, them pronouns. Hi, my name is Emily. I am a transgender woman and I use she, her pronouns. Yay, Emily's here. I'm so excited. I just, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, I get to hang out with Emily today. This is like the best thing ever. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to get into the conversation. We've already um, been able to have a conversation through my way of doing things and now we get to see yours. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, all the adventures. So my first question. Usually I ask about special interests, but we're going to get to that pretty soon. And so to save time, I'm going to jump to the question, how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Which is not fluffy, but is important. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's (laughs) been really big. It took me a very long time to get to the idea, the thought that I was transgender and to accept that. I once once I started to explore whether or not I was trans, like it was a quick no, because I didn't have the stereotypical feelings of feeling like I was in the wrong body my whole life. There was a lot of stuff out there on TV and stuff about transsexuals and and sex change surgeries and stuff like that. And it never resonated with me because it never made it, it just never fit with my identity. And yet there was something there was just something. And so it's it manifested when I was a teenager as an obsession with what I thought was an obsession with women's underwear. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I started, as I got my own money and I started to buy those things, it was fine for a while. A ton of shame, just the, just gobs and gobs of shame was all mm-hmm. I felt about it. I just thought it was weird and bizarre, but I kind of needed to, couldn't stop. Um, and where it got to be a big issue for me was when it, it started to grow, where that wasn't enough. I needed bras. And then once I started needing clothes and I did this really, looking back, this really strange thing, I would buy women's, like women's pants. And I would buy them in sizes so big that they fit like men's pants. Mm. And that was one of the early things that kind of showed me that this was something else because Uh that didn't make any sense. If outwardly it looks like men's clothes, what's the point? Like, why does it need to be women's pants? And so that's what started me into actually understanding that maybe there was something deeper. I came out and identified as a cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. and started dressing full-time. I started dressing full-time at work and identifying as a cross-dresser using my male name, using the women, the men's restroom for a year, which mm-hmm. was, that was an interesting time. That was an mm-hmm. interesting time. And it was during that time though that I started to realize that I was trans and I needed to, to think about actually transitioning medically and changing my name. But I was just so terrified of it. I was so terrified of what would come of it and just 
the worry that it wasn't right. It wasn't right for me again, because I didn't fit that typical, that typical narrative. Yeah. That period, that was, that was a really rough period of probably I started really early. I started when I, in my story, I started about 13 or something like that. But when I really got into identifying as a cross-dresser and exploring that it was about six or seven years ago. And for the next probably four or five, it was just, it was really fraught because of all of that fear and uncertainty. Now it's great because I have come out as trans. I have my identity. I started a, a company to help trans people and it's all clear now. It all makes sense. And I can justify everything. I can justify <laughs> my dress, my behavior, all that kind of stuff under that umbrella. Now that I've embraced it and I understand mm -hmm. it's made everything easier. But until I got there, it was really tough. One of the things I find so interesting is perhaps it was lack of diverse representation growing up that caused you to take as long as you did to figure things out. And mm -hmm. now you're being the solution to that problem in your modern life. I'm, that sure, is, you've, I'm sure you've put this together before, but I just, you love to see it. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what I'm doing with my business. That's the whole point of it. Just to, to hit on that, the previous point, Ace Ventura was one of my favorite movies. My friends and I were obsessed with that movie. I could mm -hmm. pretty much, and yeah, I think that had a part in it. Just that even if it wasn't spoken clearly or outwardly, it was understood that being trans, being having a, a sex change, <laughs> I, I got to quit using that term, but that was what it was called back then. All of that was disgraceful and disgusting. And it was just something that you didn't do. You mm -hmm. could not do that because no. And yes, yeah, a, a lot of stigma. So that's why it took me so long to be able to accept it myself. Oh my goodness, there's so many places we could go from here. I'm wanting to, it's it's all so great. I've been wanting to talk about the transfers for the second half of today because it's exciting and I want to get people hyped for when we raid your channel. You're not going to get me to shut up once you get into that section. So like if, if you want to like balance Talk about things anything out. else first. We have to do it first. Totally. <laughs> Might be going to be, although I did see Disney and Star Wars on there. So like you've just placed landmines everywhere for yourself. <laughs> it's very exciting. So... One thing that I've noticed in general with the content you make is it looks really good. And I've asked you about it privately, and you mentioned that you have a background in graphic design and drawing. And I'm curious, how did you get started in that? And is there any observations you have about the intersections of graphic design and gender? That's going to be tough, but I'll identity. try and see if I can make some at least dotted line connections there. For me, one of the things... so. <laughs> To tie it into gender slightly, I can go back to, I believe it was fifth grade, clearly in my mind, where there were, there are just, there are, are certain things, keystone things that happened at that time that, like I said, though, maybe not directly related are all from that, that, that time. One of them is that I, that was when I realized I love to draw and I was just getting some, I was getting a lot of positive feedback and, and I did a couple things and I'm just like, oh, like that actually looks like the thing I was trying to draw. And I'm looking at other kids and it's just, yeah. So I was just like, okay, there's something here. And that sparked my love of drawing. And I just kind of kept doing it throughout my life. I'll pin that and come back to it in just a sec. But another key thing that happened at that time was I was in a, a choir. Mm -hmm. And one of, one of my questions on my show is what are the things you can trace back to your youth that suggested that you were, were going to be trans, you were going to come out as trans or that you were and I just, 
many, like probably two years ago, I realized that when my choir teacher at school praised me as one of her rare boy soprano, there was just something I was so proud of to to be included with the girls. And it was one of my proudest moments. And like I said, at that, in, in that same basic timeline there, discovering a lot about myself. It's funny that those two were at that same time. And yeah, I just kept with the drawing and I've always really loved it. I didn't, I'm a, a very much a perfectionist. And so though I love it and I I'm almost always love the results when I'm not in the right mood or, or something and, and it doesn't come out well, it's extremely, it's like debilitate, debilitating. Whereas here's zero, doing a, a great drawing, I'm like here, but doing a bad drawing, I'm like down here. So it's, I, I get to this thing of where I don't want to start something if I feel like I couldn't make something great. So it's just kept in the background as a hobby, something I love to do, but something I couldn't really do because I don't know, I didn't see it as a real career until I got to junior college and I took a marker class and the teacher again was giving me a lot of praise for my skills and was pushing all of us into graphic design. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you could do creative and art stuff. I can do these like marker drawings here and there and concepts and then actually have a paycheck. Okay. <laughs> and so I went to school for that and it turned out that, yeah, I, it was enough of a creative outlet and there was enough hands-on actually physically drawing and, and sketching things out that it, it ticked all those boxes for me and fueled that fire. And then, like I said, gave me an op- opportunity to have a steady job. Mm-hmm. Which is very important. We have a, a follow-up question from the chat. Emily, did you notice a change in your creative process after beginning to transition or once you started transitioning? That is a great question. A change. Wow. I do feel like it's freed me up a bit. I don't know that I've particularly put it into practice too much. Obviously, everything I do for the transverse is something that it, that I wouldn't have been able to do before in, in drawing and, and logo design and designing my scenes and things like that. But I feel, I just feel permission to, to do girlier things, to do more feminine things now, to do, to use pink as a color in my design. Whereas before I'm just weirdly bought into the societal norm and narrative. And that's just what my brain has always accepted to be the truth. And so just my own mental block, like there were just things I didn't or couldn't explore as subject matter because it wasn't that although I did do a lot of Victoria's Secret catalog drawing and um, it makes more sense now that my, <laughs> that my main a, a major subject matter of mine would end up being women considering I was never that kind of skeezy after chicks all the time boy growing up I never understood men I never understood them and how they looked at women but I I did look at women and I appreciated them so I thought well yeah it must be a guy I'm just like a little off or a little different about it and it's just okay now I see so there's big transbian energy extremely (laughs) just completely below the surface just very subverted under that layer of belief of a very specific right and wrong and I think that's that kind of ties into that, not the perfectionism, but my inability to do things that I think won't be right. That that initial block to to not draw because I don't know if it'll come out great. Like 
very clear right and wrong built into my brain somehow. I love that coming out and becoming your true self has also opened up more creative possibilities for you. How fun that you unlock your gender identity and then you unlock your creativity at the same time. That's yeah, crazy. and it's funny. There was a period, you know, I, I worked at, at um, a big company. I don't think there's a reason why not to say it. I worked at JD Power for 14 years mm-hmm. and you know, I got to do, I got to explore and do all kinds of different things, but it was within a corporate uh, bubble. And there, there were periods where I was just burnt out on it and it, it was really tough. And I haven't hit that in the year since where I've been working on all this stuff for the company. So yeah, I'm guessing that there is a bit of me that has really blossomed and opened up now that I have have adapted my true identity. Mm-hmm. Adopted. Bloomed into. One of the things I like to do is when I can't come up with the, the right word version of the word, I just pick an, a synonym. Okay. And that is part of my neurodivergent brain. Tell us about your neurodivergent brain. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. Yay. Okay. Yay. So... I never knew I had a neurodivergent brain. It was never even a discussion. I always just attributed to having an artistic brain, but even that had some, there were some trouble, there were some troubles with that fitting because in high school, my two favorite subjects were art and math. And I feel like that's a rare combination. I, I, in high school, you're required to take two years of math. I did six because I wanted to get to calculus. And so I took summer school. But it would it'd be a really long time before I would, again, <laughs> be able to understand that my brain is neurodivergent. One of the funny things, the one I always love to talk about is I noticed at one point that when I was in like a boss's office and talking, it was someone's office and talking to them, mm-hmm. I was constantly shifting my weight and moving and, and turning and doing different things. When I stopped and paid attention to what I was doing, I realized that I was shifting my body and specifically my feet to be in parallel or perpendicular to the various lines in the room. So if there's a desk and then some chairs and things like that, I would bounce from whatever my brain was, I guess, obsessing about at that time, like that chair over there Mm -hmm. and it's lined this way. So I would put my right foot in in line with that one. And then there'd be something off to my left that would catch my attention. And and I'd I'd move my left foot to be parallel or perpendicular to that. And it was something completely subconscious. I was Mm -hmm. just aware of the fact that I was shifting a bit and maybe uncomfortable somehow, Mm -hmm. but it took me some real observation to go, oh, Okay. It's just like, why is that happening? That's interesting. And so that's been one of my big indicators of, yeah, there's something else going on up there. I can tell you when I was a kid riding around in the car places, I would count the letters on signs. Like I would group letters together. Like I like to do. And then if it ended on an odd number, I just carry the last digit or vowel or whatever from that over to the next sign until it ended on an even number and then I would stop. But it was like this little thing that I would do on road trips when I was a car in the back, a kid in the back seat of the car because I was bored. And so looking back, I'm like, that's got big neurodivergent energy, that little whatever that is. <laughs> I love that need for that balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Two, two of the other favorites of mine were always, I had to eat Skittles and rainbow water. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple. And then again, thought that was an artist thing. Didn't know that was a neurodivergent. And then I would eat Lucky Charms, all the brown pieces first, mm-hmm. so, so that I would have just the marshmallows at the end. But I, it, it couldn't be any marshmallows. Yes. But there couldn't be any marshmallows in any of the bites up until that point. It had to be uh-huh. perfect. 
That's so relatable. <laughs> now, how that applies to my business and things like that, I'm learning about that, about the things that I am able to focus on, the things that are damn near impossible for me to focus on. And there, there are just those things where it's like, why can't I do this? I can, fo- I can do so much in a day. And this one thing, this one simple task, I can't even seem to get myself to get to it. We have a follow-up question in the chat. How do you like or dislike the TV show Monk, which is about a detective with OCD? I did not watch enough Monk. I saw a little bit of it, but I really liked Tony Shalhoub on Wings. And I found what I saw of Monk to be a little bit, a little too much. And I think now that I'm talking about it, now looking back, I think it was one of those things where it hit a little too close to home. Mm-hmm. It probably made me uncomfortable. Yeah. It's all of this is very relatable. Um, you're, you're getting a lot of supportive neurodivergent cheering in the chat right now. <laughs> nice. Nice. Like I said, it was weird because I never, there's not a lot of discussion about it publicly. So you just go through life thinking uh, like the same thing with the gender, thinking you're weird, thinking you're off, thinking you're wrong and not understanding why. And a neurodivergent diagnosis gives you permission to be you. It shows you that there's something more going on that's controlling this than just my own sheer willpower. Mm-hmm. And that frees you from from a lot of, of that guilt and, and, and so many shackles. And it, it's just such a perfect interaction between that and and being trans. It's They're so similar in that vein. And I understand that it makes a lot of sense that a lot of trans people are neurodivergent. I just want to say as a loving reminder to the chat that um, we, around this channel at least, we believe that self-diagnosis is totally valid with neurodivergent stuff because frankly, there's a lot of financial barriers and hoops to jump through to get formal diagnoses. And it can be very intimidating to go through that process. Like the process to get diagnosed with ADHD or autism or other forms of neurodiversity is so not neurodiversity friendly. It's like, here, fill out 30 pages of your history. And here's all these specific questions about stuff you probably don't remember because your brain forgets stuff because it's Swiss cheese. Like, it's the process is so grueling and keeping up with all the calling your doctor back and all that stuff. So anyways, you are totally welcome to be a part of the neurodivergent community and self-diagnose and you can still enjoy the ADHD memes and all of that stuff. Even if you don't have a doctor's piece of paper that says you have the thing. So anyway, well, and I got very emotional and it's really interesting. I'm trying to do a self-diagnosis on that at the moment while it's happening. But I think what it triggered in me is is remembering going to my endocrinologist for the first time. It's so much easier for me to go and live and be trans and be out as a trans person mm-hmm. than it is to sit down and try, not to try and justify it to somebody, but to feel valid enough to have that discussion with somebody Mm -hmm. like that was the barrier for me was not whether or not I was trans. It was, I don't know. Yeah. It's I'm even choking up again on it. Just like when trying to present yourself to someone else and, and things that you even know about yourself. I personally, I should, I should, I just speak in the first person that it gets really hard for me to stand up there for myself and feel valid saying I am trans or the self-diagnosed neurodivergence that, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is 
me and this is part of me and I do belong in, in whichever group to even get the initial diagnosis and get their confirmation because I guess I'm just terrified they're going to say, no, you're not. That doesn't make any sense. You're wrong. And uh, feeling like I'm something, going and telling somebody, hey, this is me, and then having them analyze me and say, no, that's, yeah, that's terrifying. You hear that? Some of what I hear you talking about might also be called rejection sensitivity dysphoria and maybe some imposter syndrome stuff, which is all super common with people who are neurodivergent. And it's like one of the worst, most soul crushing pieces of being neurodivergent is I'm not neurodivergent enough. I'm not like whatever it is enough. Um, you know, I'm just making this up. It's not real. Like I'm not trans enough to be in the trans community or whatever. These thoughts that can be so like hard. And the thing is those thought patterns can be so isolating and trans people are isolated enough already. Like we already don't have enough love and support. And so that's why found family is so beautiful and why we like to talk about neurodivergence here and affirm that's totally normal. And you're super welcome here. And the chat doesn't necessarily know this, but part of our check-in when we get ready for the show is I tell people it's okay to have your stem toys and be yourself and you don't have to mask and you don't have to hide being neurodivergent. Like I'm sitting here playing with my little toy right now. And so it's just, it's just normalizing it, right? It's just normalizing being trans, normalizing being neurodivergent and inviting people into deeper authenticity. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I'm noticing the fidgets that I'm doing because you mentioned that to me. I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. And then it's just like, I'm rocking back and forth. I'm fidgeting with a hair tie and moving what I'm doing. My hands are big for my, for, yeah, for dealing with stress in a physical way. One, one stim that my wife does, my wife is also a trans woman, is she will massage her own hands because hmm. she used to do more destructive things. And she's like, okay, my hands need something to do. And so she just started doing self-massage. And I think that's such a great redirect from some of the other things we can do to ourselves. We're trying to find some stim. And there's also some like self-love, right? With that type of massage. It's, I value my body that I'm in as a trans person enough that I'm going to do kind things to my body instead of destructive things to my body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, okay. This is all so fuzzy and wonderful and great. Let's talk about some I of your special so. interests. Let's talk about some of your special interests. Okay. What are some of your favorite do-it-yourself home projects? Because you have some really fun things that you'd like to get into. <laughs> yeah. God, that's another thing where I love working on my house. I love doing mm -hmm. projects. One of the sort of nerdiest, or, or I guess now I can start to suggest maybe neurodivergent things that I did was we had, you walk up, you come in the front door and you walk up a, a small flight of stairs into the living room. Mm -hmm. um, but right on your left, there was a, there was a closet door and the walls were bluish color and the closet door was white. And so you're coming up and it was this beautiful house that actually you could see the, the ocean from it. Oh, wow. But I would walk up and, and I would just, there's this closet door here. Yes, there's a great view ahead, but what the hell? So I actually went through and ripped off the, the door frame stuff, spray textured over the whole thing, painted it the same color as the wall and, and took off and basically shaved off the doorknob. I found a way to plaster over the doorknob hole and made it a, a magnetic release so that when you came in, like you didn't have this closet there, it was hidden. So <laughs> that's my 
like I said, nerdiest or most neurodivergent thing, as, as well as recessing into the wall doorbell and other things like that, just hiding everything. So it was nice and sleek, clean and smooth. In this house, the first thing I did when I came in was I knocked down the wall between the dining room and living room, which mm -hmm. made it an open concept, really opened it up, was great. And then beyond that, I've been working on the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. And it is a great project because a bathroom is a small area, but it's sanctuary, right? Like for me personally, one of my um, best self-soothing things is a shower or mm -hmm. hot water really is what soothes me the most. It can fix anything. And yeah, so the bathroom is absolutely a sanctuary for me. And you've got combinations of textures you can do and fun little design elements in this small space without it being overwhelming or anything like you've got a lot you can do. So I just totally nerd out on, on choosing the right wood plank look tile floor and the right vanity to go with that. And then the right gray color for the walls. And I, I tiled everything and I edged it all in metal. And nice. it's those times when I can express perfectionism or neurodiversity mm -hmm. visually. I'm just realizing this now that really fuel my fire the most. Mm -hmm. So I tiled, I wanted to tile the tub, the, the shower surround in white but I couldn't handle subway tiles because of the amount of grout lines. It's just, sure. it was too much. Mm -hmm. So I found 12 inch by 24 inch tiles, nice. just giant white tiles to, to do everything in. And then I put in, I did go get some subway tiles, but just one line of bright teal blue glass subway tiles that go from one end of the shower all the way around the bathroom and actually wrap around to the third wall up against the door. So oh, there's wow. just this one blue line that tiles that ties the whole thing together. Yeah. And there's just some other aspects of it, but that like those things and and the perfection of the exact right height of that and the number of tiles that lay out and where they fall when I can do it the way I want to is just so satisfying. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it such a sanctuary when I can go in there and texturally I'm comforted with the water and then with those things that were expression of what I have inside me really I don't know. It really unlocks a lot. And you're doing all of this installation yourself, right? You're not hiring other people. You're like, you're getting in there with your fancy metal thing and smearing things on stuff and putting the tiles in. It's like Legos in your house. Yeah. House yeah. My Legos. dad and I, my dad and I, Jack Hammer, I get a lot of help from my dad. I don't mm -hmm. do plumbing well, and he just has more expertise. He's had a, a contractor's license for a bit. Hello, everyone. I, I do have chat apps. I just wanted to say hi real quick. But little bitty hall bathroom, little bitty typical hallway bathroom. We jackhammered a, a hole that was about six feet in diameter. And when my dad was standing in it and bent over, stand, legs, legs straight up, but bent over to reach down to, to mess with the plumbing, he disappeared entirely. So oh, wow. tiny bathroom, massive hole. We've done some big stuff to get things set up, but again, so satisfying when it's done. And I need to get into exploring interior design as a, either a hobby or, or craft, mm -hmm. because I'm curious how it would be different if I wasn't the one physically doing the work. Cause you know, at the end of it, it's just like, I did this. And so that's, that's super satisfying. But I wonder if I designed this, would be as much of a would be as much of a kick for me mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing to explore yeah 
Totally. And especially since design is one of your, like, I don't know if core competency is the right phrase that feels weird in corporate somehow, but one of your big strengths. Yeah. Yeah. It seems doing interior design or even architectural design could be some interesting hobbies to try out. Yeah. Hobby jobs. Hobby jobs. I love that. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, That's got to be a neurodiversity signal as well. I love... Smashing words together. Smashing words together. It's so fun. And there's an efficiency to that. That's what Mm -hmm. it is because you're not saying the same syllable twice. You put together, it's a funny word, but you save a syllable and save from repeating something. (laughs) Oh my God. This is so eye-opening. I'm so glad we did this. You know... (laughs) Also, people who are neurodivergent being friends with each other is so fun because we usually end up having similar senses of humor. So if hobby jobs or jobbies or whatever is delightful to me and you, it's, oh, yay, our brains like the same things. This is fun. Get over it. Yes. So good. Oh, crap. What was I going to say? Oh, you mentioned earlier found family and the importance Mm -hmm. of that. And yeah, it having found family is so wonderful you there's so much of the conversation that doesn't need to be had and that's what makes it so much easier again going back to that am i trans enough am i neurodivergent enough or whatever if you're with your people that doesn't matter and you just get to be and yeah there you cannot place enough value on that yeah i have the distinct pleasure and benefit of being married to a trans person who is neurodivergent so that's fun Yay. We're so, it's so lesbianic how like we finish each other's sentences and all this stuff. It's really very cute. (laughs) We actually have friends coming and my girlfriend has some uh, really close friends coming to stay with us right after Christmas. And we were talking, we were both on the same page of, we really need to tone down the weird because our inside jokes and the things that we we do are just, they're, they're going to be challenging for people from the outside. All right. So a question that I have is, what do you like about Disney and Star Wars, which is a huge topic and also so great? Star Wars is going to be a hard one because I don't know. I've never investigated specifically why that is so crucial to my identity. At one point, I think I owned seven copies of the trilogy. Wow. Two versions on Laserdisc, two on VHS, two on DVD, audio cassettes. And then I think I even had a vinyl version or something. I don't know if that's the right number, but I had a lot. And it's just got such a huge place in my heart and in my past. And yet it's funny because I'm of the age where I'm old enough. I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater when it first came out but I don't know when I first would have seen Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And by that time, I was probably probably about eight, seven or eight, and it was already a massive part of my life. I had these audio cassettes of the movies, so basically they'd edited them down a bit and they had some voiceover for the things that you couldn't get via audio. And uh, I would just sit and play those on loop while I played with uh, Legos all day. So for four or five hours, I'd just be in my room playing with Legos and I would listen to the tapes on a loop. Once uh, we got Star Wars, then Empire, then Return of the Jedi, go right back to Star Wars. 
And th those are some really great memories of mine. My, just my, wife, my... my wife is handing me Princess Leia figurines. Like I was going to say, yeah, this, that's the, the, the dual Leia's. Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it, that was just essential to my childhood. And then when I got into working and I had, I was able to have headphones while I was working, I would listen to music and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I went through and I actually burned the audio from Star Wars, from all three movies into mp3s so i could sit there and listen to the movie in the background while i was doing my design work it was okay. basically the same thing as the lego thing as a kid yeah everyone is loving all the star wars chat that's happening one thing one thing my wife would say if she was here is that she growing up seeing r2d2 and c3po she saw androids and for the first time saw a character whose brain worked the way that hers do does because she's neurodivergent. And so it's like seeing a representation of highly analytical minds was like paradigm shifting for her as a young person. And yeah, it's Star Wars has a special place in the hearts of those in my home as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Gorilla Red says that the idea that of being thrown into an adventure and then having to find your way, make peace and, and discover who you really are. That's a really interesting take. And um, you mentioned your wife and connection with, with Star Wars from a, like seeing yourself in it. I don't remember seeing myself in Star Wars at all. I don't remember connecting directly with a character. It's very interesting. I connected with the story somehow. I'm going to have to really unpack this at some point because yeah, I don't see myself in the Star Wars movies. I, I, I guess I felt most like Luke just in that, maybe I did, maybe I got to take that back because Luke stumbles through everything. He thinks he knows, but sort of knows he doesn't at the same time. And he, he just stumbles through everything and then gets to a point where we just got to do this. So maybe that's it. Because I never saw myself in, in Han, definitely. And I wasn't even, I didn't even identify with Leia, really. Love those droids, though. Love those droids. Yes. Disney, I think, is a little easier if we're ready to jump over to that one. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Disney is just is just my childhood. Maybe that's the connection. Maybe that's the Star Wars connection, too. I've got to unpack that one as well and figure out why the connection to my childhood is so important, but why moving on from that is something that I have been un, uninterested in doing. I love that. So you come through the main cattle, I don't know what you, what you, what you call it, the just basically the line of the herd just coming in and going through the gate. And it just, it feels really impersonal. It, that feels terrible, it really does. You're just all, like I said, cattle just being herded into this tiny little area. But then you get through and you see the train and they've got the little Mickey Mouse made out of flowers and that's fine or whatever. But it's when I go through the tunnel on either side of that, to actually go into downtown Main Street, Main Street, USA, something just washes over me and I feel instantly nine years old again. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, there's no worries and no care. I just get to be a kid all day and I can go do dumb things. I can ride the same ride over and over again. And I don't know how it's never gotten old. I went a ton like in in high school and, and I think into, into my college years. And then it wasn't until three or four years ago that I started buying the annual pass regularly. And then I just went all the time. And yeah, yeah, I could not get sick of Disneyland. It wouldn't be possible. And yeah, That's God, I love that place. I miss it so much. That's the biggest thing that has been a bummer about being laid off. And with COVID, I think I would go 
at least once every couple months. And not having that in my life has been really hard. I hear that. And I guess yeah. it all makes sense when we're talking about that's my escape from adulting. When yeah. I don't have that, I just have to face too much reality all the time. It's hard. Reality sucks, y'all. I'm happy to breathe. I don't know why I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable with talking about Disneyland for some reason, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to talk about the transverse if that's our next topic. Oh, yeah. good. Yes. So the transverse, you said the phrase to me at some point, building a company from literally nothing. Tell us about it. What is the transverse? How could we learn more? We've got your link in the chat if people want to follow that and go check things out while they're listening to us talk about it. But what is the transverse and how did you begin this entity? The transverse is a media network, community center, and resource hub. That's the idea of it to be a 360 degree resource for people that are going through transition. We hope to provide everything you need to go um, completely through your journey from helping with egg cracking, normalization, and like I said, all the support and services you need to go through it. The idea came from that, that first day when I came out publicly at work. I was driving into work and it was about that, that, it was a little after that realization of like why women's pain, the thing that I had before. I, it had been slowly building in part of my, in my wardrobe and I was wearing more and more feminine things and I wasn't sure if I was pulling it off anymore, if it was hiding as well as I thought. And one day I woke up and I put a skirt and a cute top on and makeup and some low heels and I drove into work and I was, I was probably, it's about a, a half hour commute. And I was probably five or 10 minutes from the office when I just panicked. I just, it just hit me. And I, I just thought, what are you doing? What is the, what are we doing? What is going on? Um, like, no one's going to talk to me. I'm going to lose my job. Like I'm ending my life as I know it right now. Why would I do this? somehow something inside me chimed in and I started talking to myself very much in the third person, just saying, when we woke up this morning, this was what we had to do. We felt like we needed to dress this way. And when we got dressed, we felt good. Like it felt right. It felt good. Don't understand why, but at this point we're almost to work. We don't need to know why this was a decision we had to make and the only thing we can do now is just have our own back. I just have to have my own back and say, for some reason, this was important to me and I have to go through it. And um, going back to the we again, we're, we're going to face the consequences. Don't, I don't know where that came from and I don't know how I did it, but I went into work and I, I tried my darndest to keep my head up as I walked through the office. And this is like a two, 250 person office. So there's not a lot of ways to go where you're not going to be seen by a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I just forced myself to keep my head up as much as I could and just smile and try not to make it weird for everybody. But there was no indication for anybody in that office beforehand. There were, there, that's not true. There were a couple of people that had seen that I had so, a little bit of light makeup on and they were like, are you? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm doing that. And they were super supportive, but I didn't trust th- that the rest of the company would be this way. I just was, I was just sure that this was probably going to be one of my last days there, probably my last mm-hmm. week at work. 
And, and when was that compared to when you got laid off? Like how much time elapsed between those two moments? I, I got to do the math again, but I think it was either six or, or seven years. Mm-hmm. It was it was a December and I got laid off in August of, of 2020. Yeah, somewhere around six or seven years. And what happened was I started getting emails and some people actually came by my desk and it wasn't like, oh, wow, what are you like? Why? Or anything like that. It was all like somebody emailed me and brought me to tears and they said that I can't even imagine the amount of courage it took for you to, to come in to work today and just said that they were super proud of me. And there were a lot of people that were saying they were proud of me and were impressed by my courage and things like that. And it was such a mind blowing experience. Like that morning in the car, it was, it would have been impossible for me to see that as an outcome. It just, it it couldn't, I couldn't have, have possibly considered that to be the way I would be received. And so at the end of the day, when I took all of this in and, and took it all together, I'm like, okay, other people need to know this. I'm sure there are other people out there like me and, and they didn't need to know that this can be possible. And I think by the end of the week, I realized that me coming out and being me and living as me full time and just holding my head up high and going about my day would not only help trans people, it would also help everyone. We all have things that we don't do because we're afraid or afraid of what other people will think. And I'm like, this could really help a lot of people. But then what? I didn't have a platform. I didn't know how to. And so I got, that was about that time where I got approached to join Toastmasters again. There was, we had a big Toastmasters club at JD Power and they were incessant. And no, there's no chance I'm going to get in front of people and talk. No, that's not going to happen. That's, I'm right in line with most people. Number one fear, screw that. But this time I was like, wow, I actually have something to say now. I have a story. And so I, I joined and I explored that. And then, so that was probably three years ago. And that was good and helped me a lot. But then I realized like it was such a small audience and I still hadn't found the correct audience. So it wasn't until late 2019 where I started to finally put together and fully accept the fact that I wasn't a cross-dresser, I was trans. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I need to start following trans girls, trans folks on following them and, and connecting with them. So I started following a bunch on Instagram mm-hmm. and one of them was Megan Bound. And she posted one day that she was going live on Twitch. And I said, what the hell is that? I'm bored, I'm, I'm on furlough, so what the heck? And I checked it out and I'm like, ooh, this is really cool, had a lot of fun. And then I saw her on the Transvengers show. Nice. And that was what did it. I was just like, oh, so you can do a show. And I didn't, I still didn't have it concrete in my mind what I would do, but I was just like, this is my platform. This is how I'm gonna get this out. In June of, of last year, I started the transgender show. I'm like, it's about people's stories and sharing that and showing others that they're not alone. That was what I was trying to do, trying to basically go back and tell that previous me, like, you can do this, it's possible. And that's been my whole focus in starting the transverse is the personal, is helping the individual accept themselves and love themselves and realize that they can, that, that it's okay for them to be themselves. I brought in a couple partners and we've got different focuses and it's great. One of my partners wants to really come in with a monkey wrench 
and change the world and really disrupt, be, dis- be extremely disruptive mm-hmm. um, and change the world. And it's so great to have that perspective in the company as well, because I think that's important. The outward fixing policy and the minds of the greater public. Whereas my focus again was the internal, the individual and making and helping them. And so it's been a, a great kind of uh, marriage. I am yeah. talking way too much. So no, I'm going to let you get in and, and ask a follow-up question. You're talking an excellent amount about the transfers. My next question that I have is, how did you find collaborators? So you've mentioned that you have some. And so you went from, you had an idea to now you have a company that is has paperwork and like a tax ID number and like three, three C-level people plus a bunch of other collaborators as well. And like, how did you go from point A to point B? for all of us neurodivergent dreamy people in the chat who are like, how do we do that though? Yeah, it was so strange. I I had the show and I started my show. I started my interviews Mm -hmm. and people liked the idea. And it was actually, there were some bumps, but it was pretty darn easy to get people on the show. Mm -hmm. And then quickly after, because whatever I have or whatever I'm doing is never enough. I realized like I wanted to do more. This is great, but there's so much other part, there's so many other parts of the trans experience Mm -hmm. that need to be touched on as well. So I'm like, I should make this into a network and have all kinds of different shows and have it like, have stuff about trans issues and stuff that's just, that's not about trans issues. It's just by trans creators. Mm-hmm. So it's the full picture normalizing for us and for other people like that we're just normal people doing normal things. And so that was it. And then I, it was just the show, the transgender show every week I would interview somebody and we'd get done and we'd have kind of a recap t- chat and I'd ask them about what they were doing. And I would tell them about my dreams and everybody was like, Oh, that's really cool. I want to be part of that. And that's where it grew from is just every individual person I talked to saying, that sounds cool. How can I be part of this? And there was only one, there was only one major set of just one major no that I got. Everybody else was on board. This was a a big one that I'd I'd, I'd held a lot of hope out for, but pretty much 99% of the people I talked to are like, this is great and I want to help. And it's absolutely blown my mind. And So I just started getting, not ego about it, but just getting grandiose. What if we set out to be the single largest employer of transgender people in the world? And what if we do all these different things? I want, I've always wanted, especially when the the big recession hit, you hear about Detroit and houses in a neighborhood going for $1,500. And it's, I want to buy a block and I want to fix it up and I want to make it into a, a trans neighborhood where the people that have trouble with housing and stuff like that, like to homeless trans people or whatever, give houses out or, or have a place for them to stay for free until they can get on their feet or something. And the more I talk about these crazy ideas, the more people are like, yeah, how can we make that happen? And I'm like, this is just, these are just ideas that I'm throwing out there of these crazy things we could do. And everybody seems to be on board. I just had a meeting just before this show with somebody. And I was just like, I need help with diversity in, in hiring. We've found our people amongst our people and it's been a kind of a narrow band. And I, and so I, I want more diversity of backgrounds and cultural and economic experience. And that was the main focus of the interview or the, the conversation. And 
it sounds like we're going to partner in a very major way going forward because we're not a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to, I can get into why that is, but that's not the, the route that I went in setting up the company, but we do want to do nonprofit work. And it looks like we, we might partner with this group and they can run with our nonprofit side. And this is again, so really like it's, why is it that, why is it this easy? Why is mm-hmm. it this easy? And I think it boils down to going back to the root of your question as a neurodivergent person and that that trope that always comes out of do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life or do what you love and like people will respond and and they will come to you and if you build it, they will come. If you do something that you're truly passionate about, especially if you focus on something that that benefits others, yeah, it is surprisingly easy to get other people on board and to find the help. We are funded to almost 0%. Like mm-hmm. we we make desperately small money. And so everybody that works with us so far are on a volunteer basis. We have a head mod. I'm bringing on someone to head the media department. We have an HR manager. We have a, a whole squad of mods. We have a lead programmer. Jeez, who else do we have in the company? <laughs> we have. 20 people to the point where we need HR. And it's just how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope that kind of describes how it is. It's just have something you're passionate about because as you're talking about it, that passion comes through and you get other people on board. Do something that you love and it'll be easy for you to, to do it and to maintain that passion. Mm-hmm. And then if you can focus on something that people can directly see helps them or others, then it it really is pretty simple and pretty. Yeah. I am curious about why you chose to not be a nonprofit as the transverse. I, I would love to hear more about that. The fear, the major through point in my entire life, fear. If you, and I've heard there, I've heard since then that there are ways you can set up a nonprofit so that you essentially ensure that you will stay in power. But mm-hmm. when you, for a nonprofit, the at least for a, a larger nonprofit, I have, we were talking before Miaster about a small, the, the small nonprofit, or there's a there's another de- designation where you don't need all the big stuff, oh, but in a, yeah. a uh-huh. but in a larger in a, in, a, in a company to do the things that we wanted to do, we knew we were going to be very big. We're going to need to be. The structure is you have a board, and the board runs. The board controls the company, and then the CEO and the C-suite staff run the company. But at any point, the board, the the role of the board is to ensure that the company runs correctly and runs well. If a CEO, let's say, just as a out of a hat example, isn't pulling their weight or isn't doing a good enough job from the view of the board, then they're out. I know that I don't have the skills or the experience to be a top level CEO. I know that. I'm willing to learn and I'm passionate about learning and and willing to put in the work. My fear was that the rug would be pulled out from under me before I got to that point, before I got fully in stride. So I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid of losing it before I got a a chance to at least see it out to where, where I wanted to see it, enough momentum to see it actually go. And the only way to have that kind of control is to own the company yourself. So the the three of us that were talking about starting up the business decided to to do a partnership, an LLC. 
So the three of us own it almost evenly. I've got the one or 2%, whatever it works out to be for the, the math to work. I think it's 1%. Mm-hmm. So I have the final say, but it is absolutely a, a group decision that we make on almost everything. And yeah, it's, I really appreciate, I'm, I'm seeing validity in the chat. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it, but it's something that I acknowledge is something that I needed to do for my own peace of mind. It doesn't mean I'm going to be any better or, or worse at it. It just means that the stress of being fired from the thing that I care the most about in the world is gone. And then the rest, <laughs> that's Jeannie's job to be proud of it. I love it. So yeah, that's why it's not a nonprofit. And I have, it's on our goals by the end of 2022 to have a nonprofit wing. It's absolutely in, in what I want to do. I want to work on housing and employment, financial assistance, legal assistance, definitely medical. We want to do all of the things. And it's just to get it started. And like I said, to feel comfortable that we were able to, gonna, we were going to be able to do it the way I had envisioned, then we set it up this way. And I, I do feel a little bit of validity in that because it's my vision and what I've done so far that's gotten people on board with it. So there's got to be something good and right about it and valid in feeling like I should be the one to see it come to fruition. Oh my goodness. I have three more questions and I wonder if we've already covered at least some of this. So I'll ask them. And if you feel like it's already been answered, then we can go to the next one. Three more questions about the transverse and then two or three other questions too. Um, Good, because now I'm thinking of all the things I didn't talk about the transverse. (laughs) So my next one is how did you decide what who would do what? Like, how did you divide the labor? Did you go with people's strengths, people's energy and interest? Have roles shifted around over time? And what has it been like being a public facing entity that grows and changes? Big challenges. I'm such a people person. And excuse me, I vibe off of energy so much that I think I get, I think I get a little clouded sometimes. and, And it's really hard for me to see into someone's specific skills and where exactly they should go. When I was talking about, when I was thinking about making the show into a media network and then the media network into one part of a, of a greater company, Jeannie contacted me. That was right around the time where we got close in Jeannie um, V 1229 there in chat. We got close enough to be, ha- be having regular conversations mm-hmm. and we exchanged numbers and she called me and we talked about at, at great length about all the things I wanted to do. And she laid it out um, as like a, a very Disney model. She, she just, she pushed all the right buttons and said, you're very Walt Disney. You've got the idea, the ideas, some of them crazy, and you have no idea how to get them to actually happen. I can do that for you. I can help you um, make this into something. And then, so it was the two of us against the world and we we're like, okay, how do we figure this out and do this? And one of the first things that she did was to bring on Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And she said, there's this girl that I've been talking to and she's got all these great qualities. And just the way the conversations went, I, I went, okay, it sounds like we have the pieces we need for the company then, you know, the people to do the core work. And, you know, we brought Charlotte on and, and gave her the community and said, community is your baby. 
startup. Here's a skeleton little terrible discord for you to take and make into something big. And she ran with it and did all of the, the community stuff while Jeannie and I worked on business and I worked on focused on the media side, growing that, adding more shows, getting better guests or not better guests, sorry. All my guests have been amazing, but getting more, more exciting, more prominent guests. And it was good. It was good. It was good. There were, we had growing pains and issues and, and stuff like that. And at some point what we needed to do, reevaluate everything and things weren't working as quickly as I'd hoped was any of us hoped. We were hoping to be in a much better financial situation. There's the truth about businesses taking three to five years to, to become financially solvent. Mm -hmm. But with the extremely low costs we had, we figured it would be easier for us to start bringing in a decent amount of money and pay for advertising and pay other content creators to come on and all of these things that we wanted. And so at some point very recently, we really had to reevaluate everything. Mm -hmm. And we went through this painstaking process. And when it came down to it, what we did was we flipped the roles. We flipped Jeannie and Charlotte's roles. Mm -hmm. And there was just, there's just something about that alignment that, that fits better. And now everybody's more fueled and ready to go again. And it's been great to see that we hit a, we hit a, a pretty big bump and we had some big tough dis discussions and we found a solution that really worked. And so now we're just back at it. And, and our goals for 2022 are, are intense. And I really think we can, I really think we can achieve them. And that's great. It's just such a great feeling. Yeah. I, at one point you and I compared our like numbers and things and like, maybe it was after when I was on your channel or, or something, but we sat and looked at things together and we we're like, wow, like Meowster started their channel like a month after Emily did. And we've had similar growth and success so far. Although given the stream I saw yesterday, I have a feeling y'all are about to rocket into the stratosphere. This is the moment. This is like the smoke is starting to come out under the rocket. We haven't quite seen the fire yet, but we're just a breath away from that fire really getting lit, I think, which is so cool to see for y'all over at the transverse. It's so rad, but it's a lot. Like running a channel is so much. It's so many things and finding helpers and supporters that like help make everything happen is it's it's necessary and ideal and the dream for sure yeah it's funny because you might think that bringing on other content creators and not having to do all the streams yourself makes life easier and so much simpler but it adds so much complexity that it's, them. It, it, it's just as much work to manage it and to take care of everything as it would be to just be a regular streamer every day but we still have our big dreams about we have two shows tonight, two shows Monday nights. And then um, every other night we have a, a show except the Mondays or except um, Thursday, sorry. And so we just need to keep adding content because we want to be, we would love to be 24 seven. Mm -hmm. Just always have, you know, fresh content on. Hopefully my new media manager, director of media will be able to take us to that point because I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm like at the top of my abilities. And that's yeah. the great thing about putting together a company is you can bump into something where you're like, I'm getting out of my depth here. Mm -hmm. And you find somebody who's passionate about it and who has the experience and can do it and pass it to them. And you just surround yourself with great people that know how to do all the things you don't and yeah. just watch it explode. And I think that's the next, I think that's where we're at. We're on that, that cusp. Yeah. 
And that is so much nicer than trying to learn all the things yourself because there's only so many hours in a day and both of us still need to eat and sleep and have our relationships with our significant others and oh, friendships gosh. and hobbies or jobbies. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, our jobbies. Yeah. It's funny how quickly it, it gets really hard to maintain friendships mm-hmm. and to maintain the, your relationship with the person you spend all of your time with all day because we're both home. It's surprising how difficult that can be even in that, even in those circumstances because of the amount of work and the mental drain that it is to juggle, to, I was going to say juggle all these plates to keep all these plates spinning and and keep all the balls in the air juggling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least for us, we have carved out one, one weeknight a week that's date night. And so all my friends and all my everybody knows at that particular time I'm unavailable is date night. I will not be checking discord. I will not be checking my phone. Like good luck getting a hold of me. If something's on fire, if it's not my house, I'm not going to know. Yeah. And uh, I just hope you get to the point where, of where we're at, where you have the great people around you and supporting you that you can be busy with things and unable to check the discord. I am so far behind on our discord. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're able to, to go in and see all the updates in your various rooms, but I have a hard time keeping up with the rooms in our headquarters, which is uh-huh. our, where all of um, our employees admin. talk. Yeah. Much less on our public Discord server. And I think there's something cool about that. Like I'm too busy building the transverse to do a lot of the kind of day-to-day interaction. And it's a bummer, but there's something cool to be said about that, especially if we do end up blowing up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, we, we're getting very near that point. We've had moderation conversations about divvying up the channels and mods watching certain channels so that we're not all checking all the channels because it's rework and our brains are getting tired. Um but yeah, having, I, I guess one thing I'm curious is if you're not at a point yet where you're able to pay people, how are you hiring this many people? What is that magic trick? Because right? I'm but fascinated. How do you do that? <laughs> I, I do not understand. I have great partners mm-hmm. that talk up my vision or are good at hypnotism or something. I don't know. There's just <laughs> something about it. Like I said, it, it really still blows my mind when I have a conversation with somebody and they're like, oh yeah, we'd like to work with you. I, I just interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Bree Fram of Space Force on my show. And the first off, I get that is it was pretty amazing. But then to say, hey, we want to find a way to work with you and work with Sparta, the organization that you're that you work with. And she was just like, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I, that's what you hope for, but you, you can't expect that. And it's just bizarre. That is always the reaction. I am looking at the clock and I want to be mindful of you of a show that's going live in 36 minutes. So we need I to do. wrap up what we're doing. So I'm going to skip to the last question that I like to ask my guests and then we can do a quick little cross promo. So what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues. What's your, what's the clip? If we make a one clip of this whole stream, what's the thing you want to make sure people hear you say? Oh, that, that's different than the way the question started. My big thing about being trans and non-binary is I do not, I can't understand gatekeeping within our community. And it's sad when I see it, people that are, are 
trans that say you're not trans enough if you're not doing if you're not doing a medical transition or if you haven't medically transitioned to this point or i i feel like there's a lot of derision or exclusion of non-binary folks or gender fluid because so many people want us all to pick a side and they think you have to we had a big talk about transition and detransition and and the soapbox i get on there is i hate the word i hate that people use the word detransition because mm-hmm. it suggests that there's a point where you have to get to and if you don't get that if you get there and you don't like it you have to detra- you detransition and you go back and it's, it it seems to me to say that it's not okay to try and so my key thing for the trans and non-binary community is to say that it is okay to try you don't have to have a destination in mind you don't have to be anything that anybody else wants you to be mm-hmm. you don't have to go to a point and stay there you can go to a point you can move forward you can move back you can say this week for some reason that was cool for me and the next week like i like it doesn't feel right for me i can't do that or i'm mm-hmm. afraid or any of those things and you allow yourself to do that give yourself the permission to try and to explore and to see what you like and see what you don't like and allow yourself for the space for that to be okay sometimes and not others where oh i i need to wear skirts all the time and it's oh i just don't want to wear skirts that's fine so that's my big thing acceptance within the community and within ourselves to explore gender and explore transitioning and and play with it have fun it's your life like enjoy it and find what you like best and sure take half of the things of being male and half of the things of being female and make a a, a better identity for yourself I love it. there's seven points in there i don't know if there's a clip but it's okay i took a couple i have a button that i press we'll see if We'll see what happens. I am so grateful, Emily, that you had time to come and chat with us today. Every time we talk, I just feel more and more like we're cut from the same cloth. Like we, we're both big dreamers with big ideas. And I love that we can draft alongside one another and yeah, like share ideas, share resources and figure it out as we all go. It's a big world out there and it's nice to have chosen trans family. <laughs> I love that there's space for all of us. There's space for us to do similar things or different things or or whatever in the same space there's so much room to create great content and do great things that we can so many of us can work alongside each other and accomplish a ton that's why i'm that's why i'm really disappointed in in people there is oh you're not this enough or you accept these people and we don't so we're not going to work with you just come on there's so much space there's so much that we can do if we just work together and we just all pull in the same direction and love each other and let everybody be them and accept that. That's why I love your channel. You talk about self-diagnosing as trans and neurodiverse and that's cool and that's okay. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to fit into some kind of category or, or meet some criteria to be enough in any of those things. And that's really important to me. Yeah. Oh. I wish we had several more hours and we don't. So I'm going to say thank you so much. Please share any promo. We've got your the link to the Transverse, your Stand With Me link in the <laughs> chat. 
And do you want to tell us about the show you're going to be doing tonight? And I'll just let my Twitch chat know we're actually going to be raiding your channel. So you're going to go, and then I'm going to hang out with everybody for a while, and then we'll raid you once your starting soon screen is up. Go if on. it's if it's up by 4:50, that lets me get to my five o'clock thing on time. But that it will be. I promise you that. <laughs> awesome. I promise you we will have at least some at least the starting soon up by then. And yeah, that's amazing. I appreciate that. So yeah, tonight is our fairly new news program, the Transi Transistence, Trans News Live. Yeah, Transistence is our trans news program. So we there's three of us now. We just added a, a new host not too long ago, Marla, who was a guest on the show, on the Transgender Show. And we just talk about the trans news we found from the week and we dive into, drive into it as much as we can and provide our opinions and just make it a big discussion about it. And then following that is Behind Open Doors, which is our sex intimacy and relationship show that Jeannie hosts. It's just a, a, a really important thing to have and to normalize in our community. So I'm really grateful that we have that program. Two, two great shows right in a row back to back. So just tune into the Transverse. Well, if you just stay here and you'll be tuned into the Transverse, not of your own volition apparently. But yeah, from five, five to eight, there'll be a lot of great content tonight. So we hope to see you there. If not, my marquee show, The Transgender Show, is every Tuesday night at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, and then, which is nine Eastern. And I believe that's one UTC for all of our international friends. This week is very exciting. We have Laser Milena Weber, who is one half of the duo, the, the Double Clicks, which is a trans nerd band. And they just recently wrote a musical and it debuted in the Billboard cast charts at number five. So they are kicking butt and I'm very excited to talk to them tomorrow. Laser Milena Webb on the Transgender Show. Awesome. That's so great. I'm Weber. excited. I'm excited for all of this. Thank you for being on the show, Emily.